Welcome back to the Lioness podcast. I am Olaya Lands. I'm your host. I'm the editor and founder of Lioness. For those of you who don't know what Lioness is, it is an online journal and community. Um, why is it called Lioness? Because we are devoted to helping you live fierce, live big, to love yourself more, to step into body love and acceptance, and to have the confidence that you need to go out and pursue your dreams. That is our mission at Lioness. And this podcast is all about sharing our mission to promoting a message of self-love, self-acceptance, which is why I'm so excited about today's podcast guest. Today, I'm going to be interviewing my friend, Fung Tao Nguyen McLeod. She is a somatic practitioner and an embodiment coach. Um, if you don't know what those things are, we will be getting into that in today's interview. But basically, she works with women who've become disconnected from themselves due to personal histories of trauma or systemic trauma, helping them reconnect back to their power, their worthiness, their wholeness. She uses a mind-body approach to help women reclaim their nose, set healthy boundaries, use healthy anger as a superpower so that they can reconnect with themselves and live big. Um, I'm so excited to talk with her today. I think you're going to love this conversation. So let's go ahead and get on into it. Welcome, Feng Tao. How are you? I am so ecstatic to be here and just your presence just feels so grounding. So thank you. Oh, I'm so glad to sit down and have this conversation with you today. Um, thank you so much for making the time. And um, before we get into, I have all sorts of topics that I want to talk about. Like your work is very exciting, very interesting. But before we get into that, um, I was hoping that you could talk a little bit more about what you do. So you're an embodiment coach, a somatic practitioner, and I'm sure many people don't know what that is. So could you just tell us in your own words a little bit about what you do? So an, so an embodiment coach, so the word embody is like embodying certain qualities. So for me, it's really important to have an integrated mind-body approach when it comes to supporting women to reconnect to their sense of worthiness, to reconnect to their body, to reconnect to their power. And it's, and I noticed in my work when I started out um, in the last few years as a life coach, that there's just so much that can be done in the cognitive space, like mindset work, but there's mm -hmm. so much that is stored in the body that mm. can keep us stuck. So mm -hmm. That's why I evolved in that way to work with each individual's body and their nervous system to tiptoe to like step into these changes for, for long-term change. Because as I'll share later, the body does not like to be overwhelmed, doesn't like big mm. changes. And if there's anything that's scary, there's gonna be a lot of resistance. So how do, how do we work with that at the body level? Yes. And I want to get, I totally want to double back and talk to this, uh, talk about this in more detail later, because this is something that I've learned about very recently is, you know, I'm a very cerebral person have spent most of my life in my mind and this learning about how to undo trauma or to connect with yourself at the level of the body for me, is just revolutionary. So I totally want to come back and talk about that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but before we do that, one thing I ask every guest on the podcast is about their path, because I'm so I have, I ask people to come talk to me who are doing things that I think are cool and interesting. And I think it's really valuable. I mean, I want to know, but I also think that for listeners, it's really cool to know, like, how did you get here? Like, 
I think often the paths are so circuitous, like how we come to be where we are in our life, in our life. And I think it's very inspiring for people who maybe want to do something similar to hear, like, how did you get here? So could you tell us a little bit about your path? Yes. I laugh because my path 10 years ago is so different. I would not, I would not have known it would lead me here today. But right, but so many, so many people have that. Yeah. Tell, tell us about it. Yeah, so it started out in like 2012, and that was when I got out of an abusive relationship, and I was in a very like low place. Um, mm. I needed to get out of Seattle, Washington at that point in my life and getting away from my abusive stepdad and starting somewhere new. And so I decided to make a beeline from rainy Seattle to sunny San Jose, California to just. I, I, yeah, I feel that as like living in Seattle, like if I was going to leave Seattle, I would go somewhere extremely sunny. <laughs> so that's what I did to start over and to start fresh. And there I decided, and during that time I was um, continuing my intention of going to nursing school. However, when I was in that abusive relationship, there was like a quarter where I just did the worst and I failed one of my um, core courses. And so when I applied to nursing schools, I realized how impacted it was. And they just looked at my grades. They didn't care about what I went through and just passed. And so mm -hmm. I to nursing schools for two years and then I was like all right universe I'm gonna stop what do you what else do you want me to do so at that time I was really interested in community health and then um and then this this new path was like oh I want to learn about how other health or like social factors impact our health besides eating well and um exercise but learn, mm -hmm. learning racism affect your health, how domestic violence affect your health, or even trauma affect your health. So all these different social factors. And when I made that shift, that was, there was a class that I took that really took me on this path. Because during that time, I was also um, a domestic violence counselor. And I decided, okay, after my experience, I was at a place where I wanted to give back. And I decided to um, volunteer at one of the domestic violence organizations. And I ended up being a domestic violence counselor and facilitating women's groups. Mm. And during that time, I was like, wow, every woman that I talked to, they did not know what abuse was. And they couldn't see that their, the relationship they were in was abusive because that's oh, wow. what they knew. And mm -hmm. so I was like, I need, I need to do something about this. And I was like, what's the macro level change? Cause what I'm doing is micro. And so when I was studying, um, when I had a course on research writing in health sciences, I did a literature review and I get, and I got to choose a topic and I decided to research how toxic masculinity perpetuates sexual violence against mm. women. Wow. And so all of these were beginning to like connect. And in that research paper, I realized what happened to me when I was 16 blew my mind because for, because when I was 16, I was raped by a friend that I trusted, but for 10 years, I had blamed myself mm -hmm. for being in that situation. And when mm -hmm. I did that, I was like, 
it was not my fault. Mm-hmm. And I just had an emotional breakdown. I was like, I need to do something about this. I need to like increase awareness about domestic violence, healthy relationships and consent. And so that's what I did. I was like, okay, I'm so scared of public speaking. That was like my number one fear, but my passion, like this new awakened fire within me was like, I have enough passion to, to like work through this fear. And so I joined Toastmasters to hone my public speaking skills. So then I moved from crying the whole time I was sharing my story. I was in tears because I never talked, shared about my experience in public. Yeah. With my therapist at that time. Yeah. I went to like learning different techniques to um, ground myself and to breathe when I feel something coming up and to pause, like the power of the pause and continue mm. on. And then that led me to, um, I didn't know much about trauma, but mm-hmm. I was experienced by vicarious trauma from working, um, hearing the stories of other women, what they're going through. I didn't right, know right, right. there. And then mm-hmm. when I was telling my stories of like my abusive past, I was re-traumatizing myself and I didn't mm-hmm. know that. So what happened? I had a major burnout breakdown into that end of 2017. Mm-hmm. And that was the, right about the time where I moved to Europe and I took like a pause on everything. And that was like where I was in my Saturday turn of like, I was in this place of like, who am I when I'm, when I'm not doing the work that I'm doing? I'm not surrounded by the people that I know. Like, what is my identity now without my job, without all these people? Yes, it's so common. Yeah, so I finally had the time to really sit with like what has been waiting for my for me to to pay attention to because in Silicon Valley I was just like next 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 next. So I mm-hmm. never got to deal with what was going under the surface, but I did learn a lot, you know, being part of so many different um, community organizing efforts. Um, and so during that time in 2000, 2018, my body was like, do yoga. And I was like, okay, I haven't done this for years, but all right, let's check this out. And that's when I began to slowly reconnect to my body. Mm-hmm. And that inspired me to take a yoga teacher training. Mm-hmm. And that was where trauma came into my, um, into my view, where there was like a, there was um, a lesson on trauma-informed teaching. Mm-hmm. And that sparked like an inspiration of like, I'm going to nerd out on trauma and learn all that I know about all there is. And yes. so that's what led me to really like understand because like at one point I was frustrated. I was like, I went through five years of cognitive behavioral talk therapy. Why am I, why are these like triggers still like coming up? Like, I thought I went through this. I thought I healed. I talked about the past enough already. Like, why am I still reacting years later? Mm-hmm. And that's when I learned um, with my work in somatics, when you're working with the body, is that what, if there's a book called The Body Keeps a Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolt, mm-hmm. where it talks about how memories and experiences that do not get completed or like, resolved gets stuck in the body so that's the story of like where I am today of like how I started out as a domestic 
violence counselor, focus on crisis intervention, and now focus on supporting women to go through healing and transformation and learn and connecting them to the wisdom of their bodies. Hey, and I, there's, yes, there's so much I love about that story. First of all, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's, it's really, this is why our stories I think are so important because like just on the surface, like I can go to your Instagram page and say like, oh, she's an embodiment coach and she helps women with boundaries and trauma resolution. But like, it, it's so powerful to see how your experience with that grew from your personal narrative, from your own story, how like deeply connected you are to that. And also like the fact that you didn't get into nursing school was like probably like one of the best things that ever happened to you, right? But at the time you thought it was like horrible and you're like, shit, I didn't get into nursing school. Like this is not going how I thought it should be going. But I love to see the whole arc of the story because so many people I know have this story where this thing that's happening, we're like, shit, like this, I didn't get the job. I didn't get the man or the woman or whatever we think we're supposed to be getting. And then you look back 10 years later and you're like, oh my gosh, thank God I didn't get the job or I didn't move to the place or whatever. So I love that aspect of it. And then I want to double back. I want to come back and talk about trauma in more detail in a little bit, but I, I just love I think it's so far powerful for people, especially people who are looking for their mission or looking for their purpose in life, just to see that it doesn't always go how we think it's going to go. And that can be really beautiful. And also, also, yeah, also how drawing on our own experiences, like, and telling our own story, like being rooted in that often gives us a sense, a super powerful sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So thank you for sharing. Um, before we talk about trauma, I would like to talk a little about one big piece of your work is about boundaries, right? So I, boundaries are a hot topic, very trendy. Like I go on Instagram, I see people talking about boundaries every day and toxic people and this and that. But I think a lot of people don't even quite understand what boundaries are or from my interpretation from what I've learned about a healthy expression or protection of our own boundaries. So I was wondering if you could talk for just a minute about like, what are boundaries? Yeah, so boundaries at the core of it is what's okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. Also what you want to, because boundaries is not a wall. It's like a semi-permanent boundary. So it, you mm -hmm. get to choose what comes in and what you keep out. So when you are connected to like yourself, your needs, you're connected to your sense of worthiness, knowing that you matter, you notice your capacity, your limits, that's really connected to the boundaries of like, mm. well, I'm, I'm already like at capacity with this. So you're going to speak your boundary of, I don't, I don't have the capacity for this. And there's so many different types of boundaries too, of like, there's a time boundary, there is a conversation boundary where you get to choose who and what you want to talk about and when. And also when you're talking to someone, if there's a topic that they bring up that you don't want to talk about, that's where you can communicate. Like, actually, I don't want to talk about this right now. Mm -hmm. So, and then, yeah, so I, there, I was teaching about 10 types of boundaries, but there's so many more. And yeah. What, yeah. And what you said about like, that it's not a wall. I think that's really important to express because I think a lot of people who haven't been taught to set boundaries, which I think is most of us are just like, no, like the boundary is just like, or when I first started exploring boundaries because I had very poor boundaries, I was just like, ha, like, no, like, and it was, it was 
almost like violent because I didn't know how to protect my space and I didn't really understand what boundaries were. So I'm really glad that you called out that it's not a wall. It's like, what did you call it? A, a semi-permanent boundary, or you can imagine yeah. like a gate where you can yeah. open it and then- And close it. So yeah. Yes, I, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, thanks for naming that because actually it comes from a place of protection. So people who do, you know, either don't have any boundaries or do have walls comes from a place of their own experience. And that's connected to like um, their sense of worthiness. So like the imprint of that, that really disconnect a person from their worthiness and their own boundaries is neglect. So mm. not just physical neglect is emotional neglect. So it's like when you are told your needs don't matter, you don't matter, everybody else's matter, or like if you're taken from or exploited, you learn either that you, some people tend to people please mm. and like to overgive and that's like not having any boundaries and, or people can set up a wall. It's like, I'm not, I'm going to protect myself and never get taken from ever again. And the only way I can protect myself is to put up a wall. So yeah. that comes from a place of self-protection that you've learned, you know, cause when you're a child, you only know so much. So that's the place that it comes from. Yeah. And I, uh, on your, on your website, where you talk about boundaries, you talk about um, a lot of the reasons that we don't set boundaries and what happens when we don't like it's, it's honestly, like, if you don't have boundaries, if you haven't been taught to set boundaries, it can be super scary to be like, I don't want to talk about that. Or please don't touch my hair. Like when I was younger, like if you have curly hair, people always want to touch your hair. And I just always felt like, don't touch me. But like when I was younger, I was never able to articulate that or on a date, like I'm not comfortable with this or so many, so it can be scary. It can feel overwhelming. Uh, we're afraid I think especially women are socialized to not hurt anybody's feelings ever like oh I couldn't say that because I'm going to be offensive or aggressive or hurt somebody's feelings and you talk about when we don't have boundaries then we overgive and we get depleted we get burnout we get resentful so I mean I know so many in my own life I've had all of these I know so many people who are dealing with these it's like so completely relatable so I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about for somebody who's maybe new to setting boundaries or you know they hear all this talk about boundaries in their social media feed or whatever um or somebody who um wants to set boundaries but it's a little scary like what what are some first steps that we can take or a mindset shift we can make to kind of think about like okay this feels scary but but it's a way to make it a little bit more approachable for people Yes, so this is where I'll share a little bit of my mind body approach to this to um, to to help a person work with the fear. So the first the cognitive part is like where you begin to explore like your experience with like, were you allowed to say no? Were you allowed to set boundaries? Who did you see and hear say no and set boundaries? And if you weren't allowed, why? What were the reasons? And how were you responded to when you said no? So if you were shamed, if you were punished, if love was withdrawn, so that's like oftentimes a love of punishment. So that's part of the manipulation and control that can happen sometimes. And so like when you begin to understand where this is coming from, that gives you like a foundation of like, there's a reason why it's hard for me. Mm -hmm. 
And then at the body level of like noticing, okay, well, there's going to be fear on this journey because when I was younger or years ago, whenever that was for you of like, there was actually times where it wasn't okay to say no or set boundaries. It actually felt unsafe. So when you get a visceral reaction of like, no, I can't use my voice and say no. And then like, maybe you have a body reaction, like being aware, like that's normal to have because your body wants to protect you from being shamed, protect you from being punished, protect you from being outcasted or rejected because we're designed to belong and to connect. So when you have that understanding of like, where did these narratives come from? What was my experience with this? And then what's happening at the body and, you know, having that awareness, then you can begin to like, okay, well, I know this is going to be difficult. So how can I ease into them? Mm -hmm. So it's important to begin to explore, like who are the people that you feel safe and trust and start a conversation to practice with them. And I, and this is really important because our nervous system records experiences. And so when we, when the body remembers it wasn't safe, it's important that the body gets new experiences, that it's okay to say no, that mm -hmm. it's okay to set boundaries, that mm -hmm. it's going to be honored when I say no and set boundaries. Mm -hmm. So when the body gets enough of those experiences, then the resistance begins to lessen much more because you've got these new embodied experiences where you know is honored, your boundaries were honored. And so that's why it's first, that's why it's important to identify who are your safe people that you trust that will support you and cheer you on. So that's the other part of like, that's like creating a positive feedback loop of like, oh, being celebrated for my no or being thanked for my no of like being thanked that I, I said I'm at capacity or like I need to reschedule because there's a lot going on or you know and I'm not being shamed or made to feel guilty for that and then the second part is looking at the area of your life that feels doable to start in so mm. that could be friendships with a stranger with your neighbor and your romantic relationship with family at work and then, or maybe if that's hard for you, maybe looking at what areas of your life feel scary to boundary mm -hmm. or say no to and put that later mm. to deal with later and start with where it's doable first because working with the nervous system at the, at the level of the nervous system is like going where it's doable. Mm -hmm. And so when you start where it's doable, there's less resistance and that's where the, the small shifts begin to happen for bigger shifts. So like when you start in those areas with the people in the certain areas of your life, you begin to build your capacity. You begin to build your confidence because this is really about skill building, but in a very safe um, place. And so- yes, and, and it really is a skill. I feel like so many, like the, just honestly, we're not taught um, 
how to do any, we're taught to do, if we're not, like we're either taught nothing or we're, if anything, we're taught to do the exact opposite. So I, I never heard that before. I love this idea of like, basically like finding the low hanging fruit, like finding somebody that you feel very safe with and just be like, hey, I need to practice this. Can I practice with you? Like if my best friend came to me and asked that, I would be like, fuck yes. Like, of course you can. Like, I'm here to support you. Like say no all day long. <laughs> I'm here to celebrate your no. So I love, I've never heard that before. I love that idea. And what you're saying about the body, like I remember when I was first trying to set some boundaries and of course I wasn't, I didn't know to do it with people that it would be easy to do it with. I was choosing kind of the biggest pain points. So there were big boundaries. And I, I literally would like, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. I would feel sick. Like I definitely felt it. Like what you're talking about, about that reaction in the body, because it was when I was young, I absorbed that it was unsafe. And I had a huge reaction in the body of like, I, I literally felt sick afterwards. Like I was going to throw up or like, so it's, that's, I don't know, from my experience, that's very real. So I love this advice of like, don't make it more traumatic than it needs to be. Don't like overstimulate your system because if you get that feedback, of course, you're not going to want to do it again, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because we live in a society where it's, it's like in a capitalist society, it's really the dominant, um, the dominant narrative is to really disconnect you from your body. If you heard like, think with your head don't trust your gut kind of thing. But there's so much that our body is telling us, but we don't learn to listen. We learn to ignore it and just rationalize things only using our head. So when we begin to like tune into our bodies, we're like, ooh, okay, this is happening. And then like bringing attention to that and then seeing, okay, well, this is here. What do I need? What would feel doable in this moment? And like, if it feels overwhelming, it's okay to pause and to step back and slowly come back to it. So yeah, with boundary work, that's like a huge part is like working with the body. And that's the beautiful thing about being human is we're designed to be adaptable. So we can rewire our minds and our bodies with time and mm -hmm. practice. I mean, yes, totally. And as you were talking, I just felt like we need people teaching kids this in school. And I don't know if they are, maybe some more like progressive curriculum, a uh, curricula are, but, but I don't know how powerful would it be if little kids were taught to like honor your no and like instead of you know we have the society that's like you know you need to be people pleasing and you know kids are socialized like little examples like you don't want to hug somebody and your parents make you or like you have to share every single one of your toys whereas maybe it would be valuable I mean sharing of course is a, is a positive value but like maybe you have one that's just for you like there's all kinds of little micro examples that I think us to like not listen to this no so I wish that people were teaching this in, in school to children it would it would create a much healthier society <laughs> absolutely absolutely I feel like that conversation is starting to finally like get there with like the me too movement and that's in the sexual realm but mm -hmm. it it's beginning to like really ripple mm -hmm. in other areas and like no yeah, no is an important part. And again, like you're not the first who said that about like teaching children, like even being able to say no when someone wants to hug you and being like, nope, don't want to hug you. And it doesn't mean I don't love you. I don't care about you. It's just, I don't feel- Yeah, just, I have the right to like protect my own body and like set limits around my, my, my body, which I think especially for women, it's just, it's so problematic. Like about how much our bodies are perceived as being for other people. 
and how much like for women were perceived as like we need to constantly be nurturing and caring for others, which isn't very conducive to like protecting your own time and space and energy, <laughs> right? Yeah, that goes into systematic oppression. And that's like patriarchal oppression where- Yeah, yeah I want to, hold on, hold that thought. I want to come back and talk about that when we talk about trauma. Before we get into that, um, if you don't mind, I so one of the values that we cherish very much here at Lioness is self-love. And I know this is like another one, kind of like boundaries. It's a very trendy topic, but it's, I think it's trendy for a reason because there's been kind of a, an awakening in terms of how important this is. And I personally see it as something that's politically important for women, for people of color. Um, but I always like to ask guests who come on the podcast, like what, what does self-love mean to you? And then, well, I'll ask you that first. What, what does self-love mean to you? What does it look like for you? Self-love for me is, it comes back to like honoring myself and it's like respecting myself and self-love is for me has been connected to community love. So like, and I speak from that place because growing up, love was shown differently. It wasn't shown through words. It wasn't shown through like um, affection. And so I didn't feel loved growing up. And so because I didn't experience what love was like, it was hard to love myself. And it wasn't mm -hmm. until I met people that truly loved me just the way that I am and um, accepted me for where I am. That's where I learned to love myself. And so those two things are so connected. And this is something that I keep returning back to Adrian Marie Brown's concept in emergent strategy is fractal. So what happens at the individual affects the collective, vice versa. Mm -hmm. so same with yes. like self-love. Like that's not possible without the community or collective part. Because if you just, if like if you've grown up in a surrounding where you're told you are unlovable, you're, you know, like you're unworthy and you internalize those things, it's mm -hmm. hard to tell someone just love yourself. Yes. But what is there to love about myself? Yes, totally. And I think that's part of the problem with like, it's kind of, it's a, a double-edged sword, I guess, like the fact that this has become a very trendy topic and people it's, it's creating awareness, which I think is very powerful. But then I think there's also like a lot of misinformation. I think there's a lot of commercialism and capitalism co-opting these concepts. And, and then I think there's a lot of messaging of just like, just love yourself. <laughs> like if I knew how to fucking do that, I would have been doing that like years ago is what I thought, you know, originally when I heard these messages, like, why are you telling me this? Like, I need to know how, I need help, I need support, you know, like, so that's what we're, that's what we're trying to bring and like raise awareness around this in a meaningful way. So my next question for you is how do you see, like, is there a relationship between self-love and boundaries? What do you see as the relationship between self-love and boundaries? Absolutely. I was just teaching a workshop for UC Irvine of how boundaries is community, as community care. Mm -hmm. also connected back to how boundaries is not it's not only community care it's also self-care so mm -hmm. like for example like for me I like for me if I'm not taking care of myself I cannot show up for people in my community and like if people in the community are not taking care of themselves honoring their limits their capacity not asking for help then they cannot show up for other people in their lives mm -hmm. So it's really interconnected of like both 
both things, it's so important to happen. So like, even in my friendships, like I have friends who live within a 30 minute um, walking distance. And we, so for us, we're like a community too. Mm-hmm. It's so important that we also name our capacity for things too. So then we can show up authentically mm-hmm. from a place of like fullness and not from, because like, I've learned in the past that if I'm showing from a place of empty, I don't have patience. The other person feels it, <laughs> that I'm not listening, that they don't feel like they're being heard. So like there's the impact of not being able to show up for someone, even though you want to, but you're just drained. Yes. And like, yeah. Yes. Which is why I think that like, this is especially, especially for women, we have this idea that we have to like, like or I've talked to women who are like, oh, I couldn't, you know, like, I don't have the time to like take this workshop or do, or meditate or do a yoga class or whatever. I think it's especially prevalent among, among moms. There's so much pressure. I mean, it's hard enough to be a mom, especially with young children. And then there's so much pressure to be like an amazing mom. And women are like, oh, I couldn't possibly take the time. But the way I always see it is if you don't take the time, like how can you really show up in your job, in your uh, relationships? as a parent, as a friend, like for, for anybody that if you're completely depleted, you can't show up for anyone else, right? Much less your community. So I love that you called that out because it's something I feel very strongly about. And also this idea of community, like that's why I think self-love and boundaries and all of this is political. Like if we don't take care of ourselves, how can we keep pushing for change? How can we support people in our community who need support? But at the same time, it is very tricky to find the balance or like self-love is also a skill, right? Absolutely. It is. And it's like beginning to normalize that and the way that you speak and practice. So the more practice, the, that's where like it becomes more normal. Um, and it's um, also like recognizing like where can you begin to build a community where you are and connecting again, you know, finding where it's doable. It doesn't have to be big. It can start with a few and then seeing like starting a community bank. This is a concept that I learned when I was um, majoring in community health is like when the government is unable to help us, how can we come back to mutual aid where we Mm -hmm. can help one another, where we can tap into our own resources. So let's say like you mentioned about moms and like, okay, well, we know like moms are like often doing so much. So who in the community can begin to like be available to watch the kids and give herself like a day to herself mm-hmm. and to reset or like gift her a massage or um, where she can just be able to experience peace and someone else is tending to her other needs or maybe she needs groceries or whatever. And it, you know, this comes back to like, what is available in the community bank? So beautiful. And I think though, one of the big problems we have here in the US is, and that's really been on display during the pandemic is how intensely individualistic we are and how we have this idea that we have to go it alone, which is really, is really sad. I think that's kind of like, I don't know what's my experience if that's the baseline. Like maybe you could ask your family or your like very best friend, but beyond that, it's almost seen often like as a sign of weakness in the US, I think. And that, that makes me, it's, I mean, it sucks. <laughs> Yes, you're speaking to one of, America was built on an individualistic um, value. So like, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstrap, do everything yourself. If you ask for help, you're seen as weak. 
you know, that story goes on. So yeah, we feel that's why we're overworked, we're overstressed, we have so many different problems. And I see the desire for people to begin to um, connect and to find like, what does community mean? Because naturally, we're not meant to be in isolation. Mm-mm. No, we suffer yeah. in that way. And that actually leads me to the next thing that I wanted to talk about, um, you were t- uh, which is about the wisdom of the body. You talked a little bit about how in the US, like we're constantly <laughs> driven to like overwork and we're stressed out all the time. Um, and one thing, can I read a quote from your website? Sure. You talk about our bodies are wise and tell us what we need when we are within capacity or moving outside our window of tolerance. The thing is, many of us didn't get to cultivate listening to our bodies or a healthy way of being in relationship with our bodies. Instead, we developed a distrusting relationship with our bodies. And you give the example of like resting when you're sick, how, you know, you, you get a cold or flu, you feel tired, you just want to curl up in bed, you don't want to do anything. But so many of us push through, like we either go into work or we don't go to work, we stay home and we work from the bed instead of just resting. And that one's like so fundamental, like there's nothing superfluous about that. Nobody could argue that like you're sick. And still in America, like we we have to like work through it and push through it and then multiply that times like a thousand all the ways that we don't listen to the wisdom of our bodies. Um, that this really resonated with me because I was really raised like that, super type A, super excel at everything, be doing stuff all the time. And in the last couple of years, I put a lot of effort into kind of undoing that, but it's still a really big challenge for me. So what, when you work with your clients or do you have any advice for like learning to listen to that wisdom of the body, learning to listen to it, but then also to trust it? Because sometimes I hear it and I just feel this sense, I think it comes from like, childhood and not feeling safe and I have to excel all the time I feel this sense of just like I can hear it but I'm just kind of like shh, like you know like I don't quite want to listen to it all the way so what are some ways we can like hear it and lean into the wisdom of our bodies yeah so when we go on that journey it's like a new relationship we know mm. the body is there but our bodies want to trust that we're actually wanting to listen Mm -hmm. so it's like the body building is trust in us because like for so long we had overrided it we pushed we forced our bodies so our body is like are you being really serious i'm gonna (laughs) trust you Mm -hmm. many times so in my work with clients we can i help them in the beginning of noticing different body sensations and a lot with getting to know what their no and yes feels like and like what an obligated yes feels like at the body. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes, again, you know, in society, I want an answer like that. Mm-hmm. The body pace is not, doesn't work like that. And so if we really want to get to know, like, am I really a yes or am I a no to this? Mm-hmm. And so like, there's different ways that the body will let you know. So like, let's say if you are saying yes, when you actually mean no, mm-hmm. oftentimes, um, even for myself, I feel like a sense of like heaviness. I feel mm-hmm. like restriction. I mm-hmm. feel like something stuck in my throat. I feel like, um, I feel like hot in my body or there's like 
or this internal speeds really fast. Mm -hmm. It's very chaotic inside. Now, when I say a true yes, it's very different at the body level where my body feels more open. It feels more lighter. I feel like other emotions of like excitement and um, the, and so there's like different, you, you can begin to notice like the different ways your body respond. Mm -hmm. And even like in the, when you say yes, when you really make me know, there's a certain emotions or narratives that are coming up. You're saying yes, because I should, because mm -hmm. I have to. Mm -hmm. And then so like it, it links back to like this place of shame or guilt or obligation. So that's how you can begin to discern like how your body's responding when you say certain things. So when you begin mm -hmm. to build your awareness of what's happening at the body level, that's mm -hmm. where you begin to like, you are able to take effective action. So how yes. can you honor your body? Once you notice what's happening below here, mm -hmm. and the more that you honor your body, the more that connection is so much stronger and clearer. Yes, and that's, that's so powerful. It takes really takes practice though, because I think like we've had decades of like, not listening to that so I think it's like just for me anyway it's been this practice of kind of like just starting to hear like it's like tiny whisper like in the other room under the bed you know like I hear this really tiny I'm like oh I think I hear something I think I hear something like let me listen for a minute like let me pause and like see what I can hear and I think the more I've done that the the, the easier it is to hear what my body's saying but I don't know I still have a lot of work to do <laughs> It is. And that's where the power of the pause comes in. So like if, so a lot of the clients that I work with, they, even myself, when I was starting on this boundary journey is I had an auto autopilot of saying yes. Like mm -hmm. that was my automatic response mm -hmm. because it was too uncomfortable with saying no. I felt like this really, I just couldn't. So yes, it's so much easier to do. Once you get so once you are aware of like your yes and your no's, maybe life happens. And, you know, there's a lot going on where once you said yes to something, when you honor where your body is at, your limits and your capacity, you give yourself permission to change your mind. You give yourself permission to reschedule. You give yourself permission to cancel because like, Yes, that's so important. So many people feel like once we like your pro, maybe you're just somebody who has a tendency to people please and say yes. And you're like, okay, I think I want to do this. So I said yes. And then like later you're like, I don't really want to do that. But I think so many of us feel like, well, I said yes. So I guess I'm doing it now. So I love that you called out. There's like the initial yes and no, but then you can absolutely come back and change your mind. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And that's the other piece of like dispelling the shame, even with changing your mind, because we live in a society that doesn't allow us to do that. Yeah, totally. Like I was just contacted to do, to shoot a, a cookbook and it was a really cool project. And for a long time, I wanted to shoot a cookbook. Like it was my big goal. And so I was leaning towards saying yes. And then I looked at it, like, how much work do I have coming up? That's going to put me in a really, really bad position. And it was like, my brain was like, yes, you need to do this. Like this opportunity might not come back, but my body was like, no. And I had to like double back and say, you know, in retrospect, like I've considered it and I can't say yes. And luckily I'm at a place now where it wasn't too hard. I was able to just like, but, but like two years ago, I probably wouldn't have done it. I probably would have just been like, oh, I guess I'm shooting the cookbook now. <laughs> well, right? that's the beauty 
beautiful thing is as you evolve, your boundaries evolve. Yes. Yes. I love it. Um, I want to be mindful of your time, but this is like, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. So I, I want to start to, to wrap up, but before we do, I want to talk um, just a little bit. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I would like to talk a little bit about trauma. You talked about that at the beginning of this conversation, and I know it's a key part of your work and it, much like boundaries, I think it is a topic that is gaining awareness, but maybe there's some like misunderstanding about what trauma is. I think people, we often think of it as like, it has to be a cataclysmic event, like living through a war experience or a violent attack or something like that. But I think there's starting to be more awareness that there's like systemic trauma of racism and sexism, and also um, less cataclysmic trauma, like a neglectful parent or a narcissistic partner or, so anyway, could you talk a little bit about just in a nutshell, what what is trauma? Trauma is, when it comes to the core of it, it is when your nervous system is unable to cope with what's happening. So if anything's happening too soon, too much, and your nervous system is unable to cope with it, or if it's going through something and that energy that's being um, created gets stuck in the body, that's where the trauma happens. Right, because there's, I, I just, sorry to interrupt you. I have a quick question. Like I've also been reading about how you can have something that might in some circumstances be a traumatic experience, but if you're able to process it, especially quickly, that it doesn't necessarily, like you can, undergo a violent attack or be in a something that we would normally think of being very traumatizing. But if you can process it, you don't necessarily feel traumatized. So it seems like there's some aspect of getting it out of the body. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So like, as I shared, like there are the different responses that your body, your reptilian comes, um, comes through is the fight, flight, and the freeze. And so when those responses are um, usually, are successful and you're able to like discharge that energy even in freeze afterwards when that leaves your system then that energetic charge no is no longer there mm -hmm. now when it's left unprocessed that's where the trauma gets stored and stuck in our body so it can be anything it could be um let's say like even you know like you go to a dentist appointment or like even a child and the child has this fear of dentists, but they're forced to go anyways. And the child feels like they cannot do anything about it. And their nervous system is overwhelmed and they go into the state of like being like trapped. So basically mm. it's like, you feel trapped. It's like the experience of being trapped. Mm. And so as as my understanding of trauma evolves, it seems to me like it's pretty unavoidable that all of us are going to experience trauma of some sort in the course of our lifetime. Would you say that that's true? It is. Trauma is a range. It doesn't have to be big because like, you know, someone can experience um, different levels of trauma and it just depends on their ability to process, their um, access to support to work through the trauma. And so that really, but yeah, trauma exists on a spectrum. And so if that's true, then that most of us, virtually everyone is going to experience trauma at some level throughout our lifetimes. 
um, I know, I mean, I know that this is like very deep and involved and there's like no one size fits all answer, but like, what are some ways that we can work when, once we acknowledge that we're like, okay. And we think back to our own life and we can think of different experiences that have been traumatizing to a different degree. What are some of the first things we can do to start to heal, to start to heal ourselves? I would recommend because again, this, there's a fractal concept. There's only so much you can do with self-healing, but also working in relationship with another person to hold that space for us. And for me, when I was working through the trauma that was stored in my body, it was important for me to work with a somatic practitioner or a therapist who was, who was trained in somatics to be able to um, slow things down because oftentimes we talk through the experience so fast but how can you slow it down and begin to notice what's happening at the body mm. and allow what's happening at the body to have the time and space to process. So like, for example, you know, a few weeks ago, my physical boundary was violated by a dentist who just was talking and touching my shoulder. And I was like, what, you don't need me touching my shoulder. Like that's not okay. And mm -hmm. so for me um, in that moment, I froze because it was like the first time it happened to me. And, um, and then I, I didn't say anything because like after processing that, I was like, there's a power dynamic as well, like growing up, learning never to talk back or question people in positions mm -hmm. of power. And so I worked with a somatic practitioner to help me access this anger that I had that was too big because I was doing certain somatic practices that I had on my own, mm -hmm. but I needed to be witnessed. Mm. Like, with empathy from another person. And she helped me to access that anger and allow it to move through. And now I don't have that anger in my body anymore. Mm. And again, this is like something often that many women are not allowed to have anger. And that's part yes. of energy. That's part of the fight response. But that's the problem with living in the society. We, our bodies get wired to bypass fight and go into freeze. Mm, yes, so true. I'm so glad you brought that up because anger, especially for women, I think is really taboo. Like women aren't, and then don't even get me started on being a woman of color and especially a black woman. Like if you're an angry black woman, like that is like, you might as well just leave. Like nobody wants to hear that, but it's so valid. Anger is such a valid emotion. And I think I'm really glad you brought that up because it's I think it's something that needs to be recognized, like acting, necessarily acting out on your anger, that is not always valid, like hurting somebody else with your anger, that is not valid, but processing, having, letting yourself feel the anger so that you can process it, I think is so important. It's so important for women and it's so extra important for women of color, I think. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Absolutely, like reframing anger as their super power. And that's also- yes that I help women to reconnect to and to embody again and knowing when to allow themselves to express that anger because that's also a way where we can protect ourselves. Like let's say someone touches us, imagine a world where we don't have to police ourselves. Someone touches us without our consent. We're like, no, that's not okay. Without worrying about what people think. But like, that's where like the, the agitation is also part of the anger. And like, that, again, as you evolve, your boundaries evolve. And I shared about this with you when I was like online dating, there was this guy who had all the talk, acted like he knew he honored my boundaries. But when it came in 
to real life, he violated my physical boundary. And I was like, you understand if you don't check in with me again, I'm going to ask you to leave. And I, I was like, yeah, leave now. Which is a beautiful example because I know from my own, like I had that experience so often when I was younger and just went into like a free state of like not knowing what to do and having some really bad experiences. So again, I think if like the more that we can talk about this, the more we can normalize this, the more we can share the message, like the more powerful it is for everyone, but especially for women. I think it's so important. And I think it ties back to that piece of self-love and like protecting yourself, like without stigma without being called you know like now women if they're angry they're a bitch they're shrill they're like you know we have all these words to stigmatize angry women where there is like righteous anger or it maybe doesn't even have to stay anger if we can look at what's really happening so I just think it's really powerful I'm glad that you're bringing it up I'm glad that you are doing this work I think it is super important and I really really thank you for talking to me about all this and I hope people are going to hear your message and learn from it. Um, where can people, tell, tell us please, where can people find you? How can they work with you? Do you have any programs coming up? Tell, tell us everything. Oh, thank you for asking that question. Yes. So you can check out my website to learn more about me. And um, it's www.theuncagedpath.com. Okay. And I, and I will drop all of this into the show notes as well. Oh, great. And then also you can find me on Instagram at the uncaged path. And then I do have um, my next boundary group cohort that is over a period of six months is going to start during the week of the new moon in May. So I, so that is going to open up for seven women of color. And I do that with intention because of my own experiences being in predominantly white spaces. I could mm -hmm. not fully access the healing that was available to me when a part of me didn't feel safe where I put myself. And I noticed this with my friends too. So that's where I'm like, this is so needed. So that's why I intentionally created a program just for women of color only, because when we're working with boundaries, it's big, it's scary for our bodies. And it's important for our bodies to feel safe and not have to tend to the white gaze. Yes. And I think, especially for me as a woman of color, like just, I'm a loud person. I'm a colorful person. Like I have opinions about things, but then I'll like check myself unconsciously at first because I don't want to be like the angry black woman in the room I'm often the only black woman in the room and then I've been in so many spaces where with only white people and so you can't express that fully so I totally feel that and appreciate that and I'm, I'm glad that you called that out because I think it's important to have these spaces um yeah uh that you're I looked at your program it looks awesome it looks and I love that you it's so intimate it's only seven people and then to, I saw on Instagram you're also doing like a dating Boundaries oh, and dating. Yeah. Tell, tell yeah. us about that. Thanks. Um, I'm I'm currently exploring doing an eight-week online dating program, also for seven women of color. I found like seven is like the is the maximum, so I can give enough time and space for everyone to take up space. That is mm -hmm. so important. And so part of this is like sharing about how so you're ready to find romantic love, but what is the right fit kind of love for you and how mm. can you begin to filter out the bullshitters and make <laughs> way for 
be aligned potential partners for you. And that's part of the work. And that's how I infuse boundaries as part of it. And also like learning about what are your needs in a romantic relationship? What lights you up? What's your love language? What's even your attachment style and how to work that? Yes. Working through that over eight weeks and like, and that, yeah, really protecting your time and energy and your space because Honestly, there are bullshitters out there even today, and I just don't have time for it. But I learned that this is a struggle for a lot of women who are not comfortable saying no, because I hear often, well, I feel bad or I feel guilty for saying no. Like, I don't want to hurt their person, but honestly, was it going to cost you? Yes. Yes. Mic drop. So powerful. <laughs> I, I love this work. I'm so here for it. I'm so here for it. I support you. I love this work. Like it's, it's really great. So thank you for doing the work and thank you for coming on to talk to me today. I so appreciate it. Oh, so much fun. It's so much fun. It's such a pleasure. It, yeah. So thank you so much for this opportunity and to all the listeners that, you know, change can start today. And if you want to learn more, I do also have a freebie as well. So as Mm -hmm. I shared about like getting to know at the body level, I have a free worksheet where you get to observe your yes and your no over 30 days. And there, and in that worksheet, it asks you, what's the situation you said yes or no to? What was Mm -hmm. your emotional response? What Mm -hmm. was your body response? And what narrative popped up in that moment? That sounds so powerful. Is that available on at your, on your website? Yes, I'm gonna. Okay, update, I, I'm gonna I will drop. I will drop links to all of this in the show notes, so everybody who's listening, go check it out. Like that sounds like a wonderful resource. Hong Tao is doing really beautiful work. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Of course. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If this message resonated with you, I invite you to sign up for the waitlist for our Live Fierce workshop. This is a six-week group experience designed to help you lean into loving yourself and your body more and to basically just living your best, most badass life. Um, We will be talking about all sorts of really awesome topics. We'll be talking about how to grow a real unshakable sense of self-confidence, how to stop beating yourself up for not having a perfect body. And you can't see me, but I'm using heavy air quotes on perfect. Um, How to turn down the volume on the shoulds that are sneaking into your brain and making you feel less than and fucking up your game. Um, How to make self-care doable and impactful instead of just an aspirational thing that you read about on social media and feel like you should be doing but don't have the time to do. Um, How to make self-care meaningful and doable and how to show up online and IRL as your authentic, beautiful, badass self. This workshop is gonna be so much fun. I led one last year, it was amazing. It was a beautiful group of women. There was this fantastic sense of sisterhood. We got to really delve into all of these topics. So if this resonates with you, if this sounds like something that you need in your life, I invite you to get on the wait list because there are only 12 spots available and our workshops do usually sell out pretty quickly. So yeah, if, you sound, if this sounds like something that you would like to have in your life, get on the list and you will also have early access to registration, which will be opening very soon. So again, thank you for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, if you are enjoying the Lioness podcast, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes such a long way in helping us get this podcast off the ground. 
and helping us share our message with other like-minded folks. Um, if you feel so inclined, please share on social media. Again, so super, super, super helpful. And for everyone who has already done so, thank you so much. I can't even tell you how much I appreciate it. So thank you for listening and have a great week. I'll talk to you next time.